You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. It's our desire to make the kingdom of God known in Portsmouth as it is in heaven. This is Genesis 12, verse 1 through verse 4. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. This is Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Amen. Laura, thank you. Well, I wonder, have you ever had a time in your life where you've had to wait for something? And I'm not talking waiting for a parcel to arrive at your house. But you've really had to wait for something. You've been praying and seeking God for something. I remember there was a time many years ago, Ruth, you may well remember this moment, we, uh, we were students at the time, and we were, uh, we were planning to go to America to, um, to work in a, in a summer camp, and uh, it was through something called Camp America. Anyone else in here done Camp America? One person. Beautiful. Oh, a few of you. And, uh, and so Camp America is just a, a, a company that basically joins you up with a camp in the States. And American summer camps are like next level. You know, it's amazing. And so we really wanted to go to the States and do this. And we, went across, we were living in Glasgow at the time. And we went across to Edinburgh where there was a, this big fair put on where there was lots of different camps uh, basically showcasing uh, what their camp had to offer. You know, sailing and climbing and uh, all these different things. And um, it, it, was, it was incredible, all these different things on offer. And then what we had to do is to go around and go, hi, my name's Josh, and this is what I could offer your camp. These are, this is my skill set. And we went around and we introduced ourselves to many, many places. And they all said, no. <sighs> and, and it was, we, I remember... Do you remember we stood in the room, in the middle of the room, and we had a moment of sadness where we're like, this just isn't going to happen. But we kept thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe we haven't seen one yet, and we'll go and maybe, but it just wasn't seeming like it was going to happen. And we stood there waiting for a while, and we came to the realization, let's just go and have dinner, and let's just get on the, was it the train or the coach? I can't remember. The coach, yeah, we couldn't afford the train, we were just students. Let's just get on the coach and go back to Glasgow and... Forget about it. We're just not going to go to America. And then after a period of waiting, a hand came on our shoulder, and this big American man called Jim, who, who we'd seen maybe a couple of hours prior, and they'd very lovingly rejected us. He, um, he came and put his hand on our shoulder and said, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was essentially something along the lines of, and I'm very much paraphrasing, it's a long time ago, but I feel that we said the wrong thing earlier, and we, would, we feel that you guys would be perfect for our camp. We haven't got, you haven't got the skill set that we're looking for. They were looking for people who could sail boats. We were not Will Aleph. <laughs> but we were looking for people who could sail boats, but you guys don't have that skill set, but we think you've got so much more to offer. Um, would you like to come? 
And for the next two years, we went out there and spent a whole summer out, in, out there in the States, um, serving at this Christian camp on a beautiful lake, got to preach at an outside chapel there and serve this camp with all these kids, and it was beautiful. But we had to sit in that moment of waiting, which was horrible. But that was a very trivial thing. We all have stories where we've, where we've prayed for something and we've had to wait in longing and hope and anticipation that God may answer, that there may be an answer to the prayers that we've prayed. But I want us to see at the start of this message that God is at work in our waiting. We've already sung about that this morning, that God is at work in our waiting. We might not see any specific changes in that time of waiting. It might feel horrible and it might feel long, but God is at work in the waiting. God can see things that we might not necessarily see. God can, he, he's ironing things out. He's, he's you know, causing the creases, the things that are messy, the things that we might not be aware of, to be maybe ironed out and refined in that time of waiting. Last week, I started this new series, which we titled Resilient Faith. And we looked at the character of Noah, and you can go back onto the podcast and listen again or jump on the YouTube uh, link And I, I'd encourage you to, to go back and listen to it if you didn't hear it, because in that I, I helped to define our definition of resilient faith. And we, we've, we've said it this way, that a resilient faith is a posture of our heart, our mind, and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus whilst living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. Noah lived in a culture that was in opposition to the pursuit of following God, and yet he had a resolute spirit to say, I'm going to follow through with what God has told me to do. The culture is saying, what are you doing? You're building a massive boat. Why are you doing that? But he went ahead and did it anyway. He had a resilient faith to keep going, to be strong. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to go through a whole number of different characters from the Old Testament to help us to think through, how do we apply this to our lives? And this week, we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Now, if you remember, one of the things I said last week was, uh, was what Eugene Peterson said when he was talking about the culture of the day. And in his translation, his, his, his version in, in Genesis, he said this, that God saw that human evil was out of control. That people thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning till night. That was what was going on in the culture. And then God saw that there was something different in the man of Noah, and he chose him to be the one to save mankind. Christopher Wright, when speaking of Abram, said this, The call of Abram is the beginning of God's answer to the evil of human hearts, the strife of nations, and the groaning brokenness of his whole creation. It is the beginning of the mission of God and the mission of God's people. So into that culture, which is evil, evil, evil all the time, God then went, I need someone in whom I'm going to build great nations from. And he said, I'm going to choose Abram. So by way of a short introduction to this man, Abram, I mean, we'll see him referred to as Abram or Abraham, and you'll see why in a moment, and Sarai and Sarah. In this, we see, if you look at Genesis 11, and it's going to be a, we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. We're going to go through it quickly, so stay with me. In Genesis 11, we encounter Abram and Sarai, and we read, and this is really important for the narrative, we read that Sarai was childless because she was unable to conceive. 
But in the next chapter, God declares to Abram that he is going to make him into a great nation. And then we jump forward to Genesis 15, and now God comes to Abram, and we read this in verse 3. Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. But now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Remember, his wife Sarah I can't conceive. God begins to speak promise over him. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. And then God is so cheeky. If you were able to count them. (laughs) And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord. He had faith. And he credited it to him as righteousness. God raises the bar of what was possible. Abram and Sarai were unable to conceive a child. But God says, look at how, number, how many stars there are in the sky. That is how many your offspring will be. That is how far and numerous your, your, the generations are going to be that are going to come from you. And Abram had a belief in God and he said, hey, I believe. We go on to chapter 17. God appears again before him. He's now 99 years old. And God makes a covenant with our 99-year-old Abram. And he says, you will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. God is declaring promise. He's declaring what he's going to do. We jump forward to Genesis 18. God says, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time. God's very specific in the promise. I will come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. What we see through these scriptures is a building up and the consistency of God building up his promises. That God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Time and again, he's reminding Abraham and Sarah of who he is and what he's going to do. And then we land into Genesis 21 and verse 1. It says, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said. That's so important. The Lord came to, Abraham, came to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant And bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. It's the fulfillment of promise. God had taken them on this journey where he said what he was going to do and he did it. Hebrews 6 in the New Testament, looking back to this point, says this in in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And we all break into song, singing, Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. All right, you went too far. But that's a song that we learn in, you know, when we're little. But it's a song that is built on the promises of God. That God promised, this is what I'm going to do. And I love that it says, at the appointed time, God appeared. Right? 
God promised, God said, I'm going to appear, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And all the time, there is a period of waiting. Sarah and Abraham were unable to conceive. God breaks into the unable and he makes what is unable able. He makes what is impossible possible. And into the moment, he breaks in and he says, I will do what I said I would do. And that is what Abraham builds his faith upon, that God is a promise-keeping God. We sung it earlier, waymaker, promise-keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is a song that Abraham would love to have sung, right? And he would have sung it with gutso because he lived that story out. But here is the tricky part in this narrative. There's a huge turning point in the story, which is all and now around Abraham's resilient faith. He's been stretched through this period of waiting, but now he's truly going to be put to the test. Genesis 22. After these things... After all this promise keeping, after all the fulfillment of promises, after all the longings of his heart, after all this, but God, I'm longing for a son. I don't have an heir. What's going to happen? I'll look at the stars in the sky. I'll make you more numerous. But God, I've got no heir. How can that be possible? My wife's unable to conceive. Where are you in the midst of this? Just wait another year. But God, I'm longing for it now. Just wait another year. And then God shows up and fulfills his promise. And then God said to him, Abram, And Abraham says, here I am. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I fill in the blanks here. Whom you've been praying and longing for and you've been desperate for. And I've searched your heart and you've searched mine. And I've, I've given you the longings of your heart. Take him to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the... Sorry, God, What? Yeah, you you heard me right. Take him up a mountain and kill him. Can you feel the tension in that moment? Can you feel Abraham thinking, but God, you've just given me my son. You promised that my descendants would be greater than the amount of stars in the sky and take him up a mountain and kill him? Yeah, that's what I've asked you to do. A quick side note here, because especially if you're not attuned to Old Testament narrative and sacrificial systems, you're going, this seems brutal, right? In the Old Testament, sacrifice played a significant role in the religious practices of the Israelites. The primary reason for making sacrifices, we could pick on two things, and there are many others. But it was deeply rooted in the covenant promises of God. Where God makes a promise, people would act in kind to say, I receive your promise, and God, I love you, and I'm going to therefore sacrifice something unto you. So one of the things might be that of uh, atonement for sin. Coming before God and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong, and I take this, this animal, this, uh, this lamb, this bird, and I sacrifice it on an altar to say sorry. And the blood as it pours out is an atonement, is a sacrifice for the sins of 
that I have made. It's an act of purifying and cleansing. Or expressing gratitude and devotion to God. That's another thing that they would have sacrificed um, animals on an altar for, is to say, God, I'm grateful to you, and and I give my life to you, and so I sacrifice this animal to say, I fully trust you, and I'm fully for you, and I'm with you, and I sacrifice this animal, and it's blood as it's poured out is, is, is saying that God I'm so grateful to you I mean in our current context day and age we go that seems mental I'm not going to go into loads of depth on that right now we can talk about it another time but as Christians this is the wonderful thing this is the wonderful truth that we need to hold on to is that we don't do you haven't seen me pull out here's the sacrificial you know and let's go find a lamb and let's put it on the altar and everyone goes yay we don't do that here Right? And there's a reason why we don't do that here, and it's because of Jesus. Right? Jesus came as the Son of God into the midst of the brokenness and the fragility of the world. And he came into a, into a situation where there was sacrifice upon sacrifice that had to be made in order for people to be made clean. But Jesus came as the one-time sacrifice that no longer do you have to do that act of sacrificing something else and pouring out the blood of something else in order for you to be clean. Jesus said, my blood is sufficient for all. And so he became the one-time sacrifice. He went to the cross and he died a death that was brutal. And as his blood poured out, his blood poured out for you and I. And he is known as the sacrificial lamb. That no longer do we need to take something else. But Jesus went in in our place. In the place of all other sacrifices that we made. And he became the one true sacrifice for us. But let's go back to Abraham, because Jesus had yet to come into the scene. And God, he heard from God to sacrifice his one and only son on the mountain. In this moment, Abraham is filled with shock and horror. It's a moment of crisis. Remember, we spoke about crisis last week. And into this moment, Abraham, all of these thoughts would have come crashing through his brain. All of his neural pathways of where he's been before with God and all the journey that he'd been on and the prayers that he'd prayed and the way he'd seen God answer. and He's holding on to his son and he's going, now I've got to take you up a mountain. And remember, a crisis reveals what is most important. We shared that last week. A crisis reveals what is most important. Verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning saddled his donkey, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood. I mean, he's going ahead with it, right? He split the wood for the burnt offering. And he set out to go to the place that God had told him about. I've got four points I want to run through really quickly. Number one, to be resilient will call us to sacrifice our own desires and our own loves. And this is not something we like. To be resilient will call us to sacrifice our own desires and our own loves. A crisis is deeply revealing. When the house is burning, what do you grab? In this moment, Abraham's house is burning. His son, is, he's told to go and sacrifice his son. Remember the words from Paul, stand firm, be courageous, be strong. If only Abraham knew these words. Paul, again, was not on the scene yet. Be courageous. Okay, I've got to be courageous in this moment. <laughs> No doubt in this moment, Abraham was confused at the calling, but he was still obedient to the call. You ever had that moment where you're confused by the call? 
But you have a choice in that moment. Am I going to be obedient to the call or disobedient? Abraham was no doubt confused by the calling, but he was still obedient to the call. I wonder for you, what is it that you are protecting? Which error of your life, of your family's life, have you deemed as untouchable for God? As untouchable for God. Maybe you say to God, you can have this part of me, but not this. You can have my Sunday morning, the rest of the week is mine. What error have you made untouchable for God? I will go to this place if you ask me, God, if you call me to Barbados, I'm there. But if you call me over here, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's got to be at least 35 degrees. What area of your life have you made untouchable for God? For us to have a resilient faith that stands firm in a time of crisis, at a time of change, we must learn to sacrifice our own desires and our own loves. And we say, less of me, more of you. We ask for God's guidance and his wisdom to prevail. I wonder, even now, if God is pinpointing something in your own life that you've made untouchable. It might be a sin, it might be a habit, it might be... Uh, an ideal of how you want your life to pan out and God is going, what about this? Why have you made this untouchable? Why have you made this an area that I'm not allowed into? What about your internet search history? Do you want me to go into there, God says? Because, hey, I already know. (laughs) Your thoughts towards those people? Like God says, I already know. And you're thinking, no, I've ring-fenced that. That's my time. But to be resilient in our faith calls us to sacrifice our own desires and our own loves. And we say, God, what is in your heart for me? We go on. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I, Isaac. We're going to go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you. Notice what he says here. I will go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you will come back to you. He already knows. Abraham has faith, right? If you know the story, you know what's going to happen. We'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it. His son Isaac is going, yeah, I'll take the wood, Dad. That's fine. And then he uh, like loaded on. Oh, I can take more. I can take more. Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father, yeah, here I am, son. I've got all this wood. <laughs> But where is the lamb? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Number two, to be resilient is to learn to trust God even when our circumstances tell us something different. You might be going through a situation right now where your circumstance is telling you something, but your belief in God tells you something different. Your circumstance is saying, this is falling apart. But you go, no, I believe that God is a firm foundation on whom I can put my trust. Your circumstance might be saying, I've been given a diagnosis by the doctor. But you say, but I believe in a God who can heal. Your circumstances might tell you one thing. But to be resilient is to learn to trust in God, even when your circumstances tell you something different. Abraham's circumstance told him, I've got the wood, I've got the fire, I've got my son, I'm going, (laughs) I'm going. 
But he believed something different. He trusted that God was going to do something different. Here we get an incredible insight into Abraham's mind and how it was working because Abraham saw that everything was God's and everything belonged to him. Everything on the heavens and the earth was the Lord's. And so Abraham is declaring through the words that he's saying and through the posture of his heart, I trust you, God. What did he say to his son? God will provide the lamb. God's going to provide. God hadn't told him that. And his circumstances weren't telling him that. He was carrying the wood and the fire and the knife was there. He had a trust in God. For to be resilient in our faith means that we see all that we have, our clothes, our possessions, our finances, even our own bodies and the lives of those in our lives. And we say, God, I trust you with all of this. So here I am. It's like the boy with the two fish and the five loaves. His circumstance told him this meal is not enough. But he took it before Jesus anyway. It's like the woman with the perfume who just has a little, but she pours it out because she knew that even though the circumstance said this feels ridiculous, she knew it was an abundant act of worship because she knew that what she had, she brought because of her heart posture towards who God was. I wonder what is it that you have that you need to trust God with today, that area of your life that you aren't willing to be obedient with. Verse 9. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar. I mean, he's still going. He's still, <laughs> it's happening. And he arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He's going through with it. He took the rope and his son's going, Dad, what are you doing? I'm just tying you up, son. But it's quite tight, Dad. That's okay. Just come and lie down here on this wood. Can you imagine this moment? Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. He went all the way through to this moment where he was willing. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the very son whom he loved and whom God had provided. But, <laughs> there's always a but. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And again, Abraham's response is always the same. He's always ready, right? He's always ready. Have you noticed that? Whenever someone calls, Abraham is always ready. He's not too busy to not hear the voice of the Lord. And Abraham said, here I am. And then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Number three, to be resilient is to have a healthy fear of the Lord that leads us to obedience. A healthy fear of the Lord that leads to obedience. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says this, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. A healthy fear of the Lord is one where we enjoy the majesty of God. We see him with awe and wonder and with reverence. And we get down on our knees before him because he is wonderful. And yet there is no cowering in fear. There's just a sense of wow. I don't understand. I'm in awe and wonder and I'm... What? You know, you just have that sense of the sheer majesty. I mean, one, one writer put it this way. The sheer majesty of God as well as the holiness and justice and power and wrath of God cannot be approached in a cavalier spirit. It would be insane to think we can just stroll up to the creator of the universe. We are blind if we think we can do that without trembling. 
the sheer majesty of God, the beauty of his splendor. And we go, God, you are amazing and I can't quite understand and there is something in me which is fearful of this. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something within our DNA, within our makeup that should have a sense of fear and trembling before the Lord. But to be resilient in our faith is to recognize those areas in our lives where we are flippant in our belief and we choose to act on it. We choose to act on our flippancy. Maybe we found a high degree of comfort in our faith where we have settled for the bare minimum of what is expected of us. Maybe we read our Bibles sometimes. We pray when we think about it. We turn up to church and do the thing of community when our diaries allow. We sing the worship songs when they're the ones we like. And we actively choose to not sing when it's ones that we don't like. And rather than having an awe and wonder at the majesty of God, it becomes a pick and choose faith. And we go, I'll do this when I feel like it because I've made it about me. And there's no sense of fear and trembling at the awe and majesty of God. I think we need to reclaim some fear in our hearts. Because when we sing and when we join in in communion, we're joining with the angelic hosts in heaven singing, Holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty? The earth is filled with your glory. I mean, come on, that's pretty impressive. What a joy and an amazing thing that we get to join in with the heavenly choir singing, Holy, 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 but rather we go, Holy, holy, holy. I'm really hungry. <laughs> and we just, and we think, and we just go, oh, I want to go home now. Rather than going, I'm joining with the angels in declaring you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of, I don't know what. <laughs> we need to reclaim that awe and wonder and majesty again. So the angel said to Abraham, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Can you imagine the relief he's feeling? Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, recognizing the promises. Here we go. Recognizing the promises. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you. Remember what he said before. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my commands. Point number four and our final point for the morning is this. To be resilient, we must, you must, I must have a knowledge of the promises of God. That when the crisis comes, we can stand on his word. When the crisis comes, when the wind and the storms comes, when a call like God gave to Abraham to go and sacrifice something, that we can stand on the word of God as a firm foundation. Abraham was deeply aware of the promises of God because he had lived in that story. Because he had heard the voice of God say, I will provide. Because he had heard God say, I will come to you in a year's time and give you a son. He had heard over and over again, this is what I'm going to do. God spoke 
And Abraham listened. God spoke and Abraham remembered. I love what Pete Hughes says where he simply says, the story that we live in is the story that we live out. If we live in the story of God, that begins to be the story that we live out. When you read the word of God, we don't just keep it in our heads. We let it fill our minds and our soul and our heart. And then when a crisis comes, we can go, God, I know you're a firm foundation because it says in your word. When the, when the winds and the storms come, I know that you're a firm foundation because you have said over and over and over again that you will not leave us nor abandon us. That you have said that you are the Alpha and Omega, you are the beginning and the end. That you are in all things and for all things. That you work all things for the good of those who love you. That we can begin to reclaim scriptures and we can begin to speak them out. So friends, I want to encourage us to be a church who get in the word of God and begin to do some memorization of scripture so that when the hard knocks of life come, all the great things happen, and we go, God, I want to praise you because you are faithful. And as it says in your word, and as you have declared in days gone by, and so you have said then, and now you are saying it now. And we hold on to the truth of the word of God. Abraham's resilient faith in a time of crisis was shown through his willful obedience to sacrifice his own desires. His trust in God with all that he had. And he had a healthy fear of the Lord that led him to obedience. And all of this was grounded in a knowledge of the promises of God that he was walking in. Resilient faith is a posture of a heart, a mind, and our soul. To remain steadfast in following Jesus whilst living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. I've got two challenges I want to give us, and maybe the band want to come up. We're going to um, we're going to close out in worship. But two challenges I want to give us this morning. Number one is this: identify what areas of your life you have marked as untouchable for God, and do the work of repenting and ask God for His wisdom and His supernatural help to get you through those things and to move forward. The word repent, or in the Greek is metanoia, is a very simple thing of turn around or turn away from. And so there might be some things that you've gone, this is untouchable, and to repent of it is to go, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn around from that, I'm going to live a different way. So maybe you need to identify what are those areas you've made untouchable to God, and then you begin to offer them to God and say, you can have all of this. And maybe part of it is to say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. And so you might, in a moment, you might want to go and receive prayer. There's, we're going to have a prayer team there. Over here, um, throughout the week, we call this an area of consecration where people were just laying down areas in their lives that they needed to say sorry to God for. Maybe in a moment, you just need to go and kneel and sit and just take time to be with God and say, I've, I'm beginning to identify some areas that I've held on to. And number two, this is exactly the same as number three that I gave last week. And I think this is one, this is a piece for the year. But scripture memorization, reflect on some of the promises of God found in scripture and reflect on them this year. Commit some to memory as a way of reminding yourself of God's love for you. Um, uh, sometime this week, I can't promise, but I'm going to try, um, is to get some materials. Maybe we'll put it on the website or in the weekly email. Um, 
it's just some really short materials that will be really helpful for scripture memorization. Some of you might do this stuff already. Some of you might not have ever done it since Sunday school. Um, we're very good at doing scripture memorization with the kids, right? But when we get to becoming adults, it becomes a, a kind of a lost skill. Um, but I, I think this year would be really fun for us as a community to really like, dig into memorizing bits of scripture and finding some skills to help each other do that. And so I'm going to look to pull together some materials to help us um, to start to learn scripture together, uh, which would be really fun. Um, so yeah, that's my second challenge, is, is to reflect and to start to commit some bits of scripture to memory. Um, but hey, we've gone on. There is so much more I could say, but um, God is good. Amen. Um, why don't we stand together? I'd love to pray for us. And yeah, maybe there's been some stuff that God's speaking to you about through this time. And, um, and yeah, you just need to take some time. There's a few of the stations left from, from, uh, from this past week and prayer week. And you might just want to go and have a little look. Or the consecration area over here. Or prayer team are over here. But God is faithful. Um, we've sung so much about that this morning. And we're going to keep singing about that now. That God is faithful. And Abraham saw that God was faithful. And God poured out his love and his kindness over him even at his darkest moment where he stood before his son. If there's anything from the teaching that challenged you, please know that we're praying for you and would love to support you. If you need any help or support, please email pastoralatthekings.church. Also, if you have questions about faith, Starting on the 15th of January, we are running Alpha, which is an amazing course helping you learn who the person of Jesus is. You can find out all the details of that on our website. God bless you. See you soon.